Oh, hey, welcome to Lunch and Learn, episode two. In this podcast, we interview entrepreneurs over lunch to learn from their experiences in starting companies all over the world. Today, we have Robert Hugler on as a guest, and he's going to talk to us about his experience in building Lendigo, a lending platform for small businesses in Nigeria. We're going to cover how to build and grow a team in a foreign market, and you're really going to enjoy what he has to say. So let's get into it. So yeah, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So what are you having for lunch today? Or are you not planning that yet? <laughs> well, I, I did not have lunch today, to be honest. It's a little bit too early and I'm still, uh, I'm not adapted to the German culture of having a 12, exactly a 12 o'clock lunch or uh-huh. a little bit before 12. So I just had breakfast, but I'm trying to keep it as, you know, as healthy as possible because uh, I just realized that it's, you know, you need to fuel your body, right? So what I had today, it's, the, it's just simple oats with, you know, some chia seeds, some nuts and oh, keep uh, it healthy. dry fruits. Yeah, it's not the best, but it's healthy, I guess. I hope so. That's what <laughs> they say. Yeah. Cool. So, um, yeah, we can start with a bit about your background before we jump into Lendigo. But what got you interested in business in the first place? Um, what were some of your earliest memories about that? Yeah, I think, uh, well, let's start from the beginning, um, how it all started. So I was, most of you don't know it, but I was born in Croatia and I moved as a, as a young child to Germany and I had the privilege to, you know, be raised in close to Stuttgart. So I finished, you know, um, it's called the gymnasium in, in, in Germany and moved on to study um, economics and, um, well, you can call it, it's called Wirtschaftsingenieurwesen. Uh, in English, it would be something like business administration and engineering. It's like, like a part of this. Um, and well, pretty much after you know some some semesters, I realized it's like not what I want to do. I feel like the engineering part was not really like you know not really fulfilling me. So I was uh, you know looking for other uh, adventures, and basically I decided to have a master immediately after um, after a bachelor's, which would be mm. fully business administration, focusing on strategy and entrepreneurship. As my dad, he was like, uh, he was a small entrepreneur. He had his own business and I really like, I don't like the idea to be my own boss. So uh, yeah, I moved to Portugal where I uh, did my masters. And that was the first time that I really get access to, you know, to the entrepreneurial space. So it was 2013. It was not such a big hub, Lisbon, Lisbon as it is today. You know, Berlin was still, I wouldn't say in kinder shoes, but Berlin was, you know, going, growing towards the adulthood. But Lisbon was like really the beginning. So I learned, so I met a lot of very interesting people there and, uh, you know, kept on my first touch. And that's why I decided to, you know, to stay in the entrepreneurial space. And I basically came back to Germany and I joined uh, Rocket Internet. And with Rocket Internet, there was this, as everybody can tell you, you have this huge learning curve, you know, from day one, when you like enter the holy holes of Rocket, everybody is like, you know, just see all these this people who are building amazing things and you feel so, so motivated. And, and uh, it was just a great time for me, you know, and also like a great school to learn. And I quickly realized that this is actually what I want to do. So I tried to, you know, keep my path more or less all the time with an entrepreneurial touch until I got, uh, or until today, basically. But then I got this great opportunity to, um, to join um, a quite ambitious yeah, VC venture builder who are focusing on the African markets. And it was super interesting for me because as I said with Rocket, I had this 
this view on the African market, but I never really like lived there, I've been there or anything, but I just knew that, you know, we do a lot of things in Southeast Asia and Africa. So the interest was there and yeah, I took the opportunity and uh, the next flight. <laughs> so yeah, how did that all, all start? So this company was already existing or were you part of the founding team or how did your involvement start? So, so it, it was not really, I mean, it was existing, but we were not really knowing what, what we wanted to do, right? So basically this VC approached me or company, company builder and said, look, we would like to build, you know, uh, FinTechs because it was 2016, you know, 17, it was actually 2017 early. And, you know, we had all these big companies in Germany coming 2015, 16, where we had um, N26, et cetera, et cetera. So FinTech is, you know, became something. And people understood you can actually, you know, you can actually like make a difference with fintech. So we decided, why don't we? I mean, there's a big competition in Europe, so why don't we focus on emerging markets? And they were looking for a founding team, so basically to parachute you in a country and you, you know, you start from the ground. So this is how basically I got parachuted into Nigeria, where I've never been before in my life. Mm -hmm. Actually, I've never been to Africa at all, as as I said it. So I, I basically was parachuted there and. Um, I was, uh, we had three people at the beginning. So I was basically you know, in the middle of the founding team. And I started from day one working on Lendigo and, you know, the vision that we have to, you know, to provide financial solutions to SMEs because we realized that SMEs, especially in Nigeria, they do not have access at all to any kind of liquidity. So to kind of summarize it, I would say I was very, you know, young, naive, and I just took, you know, the opportunity. Could you give some more yeah. details regarding the MEP? You know, how was it built and, and why do you do it like that? Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, it was basically a rough landing page. So uh, back in the days, Lendigo was called Invoice Paid because we just you know, needed the name. And we wanted to do invoice discounting. We believed invoice discounting is what everybody needs in Africa. Well, the truth is they don't need it. And uh, we realized that quite, quite early. Uh, however, we believed like Invoice Paid, it's, you know, that's the right name. So... How invoice discounting works is, you know, you first of all need to get an invoice and you need to see if, you know, this, there's you know, someone who will ever pay this invoice in a decent, you know, time or matter of time. And what we did is we kind of did a quick MVP where people can upload uh, their invoice and, you know, where it's kind of matched with, um, with the buyer. So the buyer is the one who actually pays at the end of the day the invoice. And why we did this is usually and it's the same thing in Germany. Once you have an invoice, it's paid in 90 days, sometimes 60 days, but usually around 90 days. It really depends what supplier you are. But the small guys get paid in 90, 120 days. So there's a lack of cash flow this 120 days. That's why you need to, to kind of get this invoice, you know, as, as like money for the, as, as soon as you can. So this is how we, we built, a, we realized we need to build a quick MVP, like quick and dirty. And the only thing what you could do basically is go there, upload your invoice, and we will kind of match it to into the buyer. We will reach out to the buyer, and we will, you know, make sure that um, that the invoice is, is you know valid, so that this will be paid. And then we pay you out, you know, like eighty percent of the value of the invoice, and we wait until the buyer pays us hundred percent, and then you get, you know, the small spreads with the interest rate. So it was really a quick and dirty solution. That was, you know, the only thing you could do is uploading, and everything else was matched in the back end, and we called and visited people and. You know, it was um, was quite a lot of work, of course. It was also a testing phase. We very soon realized that invoice discounting is not really what we want to do. And um, that's how actually, you know, Jumia came into play. 
And then we moved to Jumia and there was a simple landing page. <clears throat> no more uploading, nothing else. Just a landing page explaining basically what we're doing. So yeah, once you, after you arrived, I'm sure it was quite a bit of a shock there. Like how long did it take before you guys to get your first iteration up and, and running with people? So once we settled down and we kind of, you know, you know, tried to, to, to put our roots into the ground, we were approaching, you know, different companies from the big blue chips ones like Nestle, P&G, et cetera, which you can imagine takes weeks until you get, you know, an audience there and you can talk to someone. And uh, we were quite, I, would, I wouldn't say lucky, but we were, we were quite on the, right, on the right direction and we realized that, hey, let's try it with innovative players like Jumia. So Jumia is the Amazon of, um, of, of Africa. And, uh, you know, we, we approached these guys. We said, look, we also knew you guys are quite, you know, also startup founded by Rocket. So why not? And we approached these guys and we get, actually got our first clients through uh, Jumia. We realized that Jumia really liked the idea of, you know, people who want to finance, want to finance and on, on the, for their end was merchants. So basically people who were selling products on Jumia because what they saw is, of course, we give them more cash, they buy more things and they sell more things on Jumia. So it was a win-win situation and uh, we kind of got a good, um, good uh, um, I would say uh, foothold on the market and this was also our first growth channel so we started growing with these guys until today we are very very you know closely interconnected yeah what was the what was the main difficulty like what, what was the main first feedbacks like you got from your first customers how did you adjust yeah. I guess you mentioned the invoice uh, issue but yeah like you guys came in here not knowing much about the market and how yeah. did you how did you change your strategy based on the feedback well, the biggest change we did was realizing a pure online is not working. So we believed, you know, we can scale very fast and, you know, online is the, the future. The truth is it's, we call it, we call it back then tech and touch. So you need to have a tech component, but the touch component is very important to a, to build trust, but also to verify things that you receive because um, people were just not used to, you know, to do everything online. And there were a lot of scams and you know, not a lot of trust in the online businesses. So we realized we needed to have a ground force. So hiring more people, um, which was something that we were not expecting at all. We were expecting you know, to keep it like you could see in all the other countries, like everything will, will go online. But once this was done, we, you know, we started hiring five, five um, basically you know, ground or sales guys who were on the ground. And what we also did is we went with them. So we went into the markets, we went really into the deep, like Nigerian markets, it was, I will never forget this, it was 40 degrees, it's super hot. Mm -hmm. And you go there and you try to find people to finance and you know, you're just so lost because the market is massive and there are a ton of people outside and they don't see like a white guy just walking around there, but it was me basically with my luggage. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, uh, with my, you know, with my laptop and everything, I was just walking around there and trying to, you know, get along. And this is how we get a lot of like, you know, sympathizers, like people who saw us and said, hey, cool, what you're doing, we really like it. So this was, you know, the first thing what we realized is we need to go out there and be, you know, in the face of our customers. Mm -hmm. This was the big difference. I mean, what was, what was sort of like, you know, when you're in the beginning, I mean, you must have had some sort of a critical, let's say assumptions, a critical risk that you had in mind. Um, how did you sort of deal with that kind of stuff? Well, the most critical risk we had in mind is that people not pay us back. So what happens if, you know, we lose all the money that we give into the market and we just go home, you know, like, like, <laughs> you know, like we've never been there. So this was the, the critical risk. And uh, to be honest, um, I don't know if I would do this <laughs> again, the same thing, but we 
there was no option for us to minimize the risk. I mean, of course we could do, we did analysis, you know, all the numbers, the financial numbers look fine, but then there's one critical factor that you cannot predict. It's just a human, a human being. Is he going to pay you back or not? Mm-hmm. So can, can you convince this person that he needs to pay you back? And if not, what is the, uh, the, the, the hold you need to have on him? So do you need to have access on his bank accounts? Do you need to have checks? In Nigeria, very interestingly, if you have a check, you know, like a checkbook and you, you sign the check and the check balances, so which means that you provide a check to the bank, the, the, um, uh, uh, the bank or the bank account is not covered with enough of, of funds. It bounces the check, this is how it's called. And this is uh, a criminal offense in Nigeria. So basically I can go with the police after you. Um, so we needed to implement such, you know, I would say such small pain points for, for, our, for our customers to ensure that we will get the money even though the company is healthy. Because at the end of the day, uh, and this is in every company in the whole world is, um, once you have to do your payments, you pay according to urgency. And if, you know, Lendigo is urgent to you, then you will pay us first. And this is what we wanted to achieve. Because the truth is that banks are paid last in Nigeria. This is also one thing we, we realized very, very, like not at the beginning, but it, it was a hard learning that banks are actually, you know, they have a pretty high default rates, uh, double digits. And the truth is that, you know, people are just not paying them back. So we developed a, a, an interesting system, how we are now part of, of the supply chain of the suppliers. Uh, so if they basically are not paying us back, then there will be tough consequences. And um, this is how we actually implemented. And this is how we were able not to lose money until today. I mean, not to lose, you know, big amounts of money. And how do you do that sort of navigating the hiring process in an emerging market? Like, is it different from, let's say, Europe or Asia, where you've also been working? Yes. Oh, it was completely different. Yeah. So the hiring was a very frustrating experience at the beginning. Uh, it's, we totally underestimated it because the truth is you need to know who you hire, but you do not know it. I mean, because what we did, we did not know is that people who show you all this, you know, the certificates, a lot of them can be just fake or that the school system is not like is with us is in our, you know, our school system, or I would say in Europe, the school system is, you know, you, you work for a grade and then you get a good grade or a bad grade, depending on your work. In Africa, the truth is in a lot of, and I'm not saying in all, but in a lot of schools, people basically, you know, the pupils need to buy their, their grades. So, so we, re- we received a lot of, you know, really good students on paper um, from quite good families, but they were not as, I would say, they, were, they did not have the fit that we were looking for, you know, but on the paper, it was a clear fit, but it was not, in the interviews, it wasn't fitting. So we, we realized we need to put way more effort in hiring. And what we did is we implemented three or four very quick tests to, you know, to analyze how people actually think and how they see the world. So what we're looking for, what we missed a lot, and this is a cultural thing, which is, which is not so, so common, it's the growth mindset. So people do not really have this growth mindset of you know, joining a company and believing that you can make a difference and that you can actually bring the company to the next level. Usually the mindset is the boss is, you know, there's the hierarchy, the pyramid, um, the pyramid and the boss at the top and the boss tells you what to do and you trust that the boss is doing the right decision. So, so this, this growth mindset was not really, really given. So we needed to kind of to, uh, to crystal out who has a potential growth mindset or who has this growth mindset of, you know, of joining and, you know, believing that you can bring uh, your impact is, is, is very important that you make a difference or not. Then we had some, some minor, some other minor tests 
you know, to understand uh, how good your numbers and, you know, you know how, log how, how is the logical thinking, et cetera, et cetera. So this test, uh, once we implemented them, we had clearer view on the applicants. And I must say then it was, you know, easier for us to hire uh, the right people. We still had, you know, our, I would say some difficulties, but looking back now and comparing with other companies, we really had a, uh, had a good strategy to hire companies and uh, to hire employees. And until today, we have, uh, you know, quite some, some, some employees who are, who are here since day one, basically. Cool. Um, how did you set the company culture and kind of set those values into people that you hired? Like you said, the growth mindset and other, other areas, I'm sure that are, you know, you're not, you're not from there. And yeah, how do you work with a team that has a different cultural background? And how do you, in, like, I guess there's a bit of give and take there between what you want in the culture and what they provide. How did you work through those difficulties? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's a really, really good question. So at the beginning, it was, so it was not clear to us again uh, that, that there's such a cultural difference. And when you hire people and you ask him something and he, and you ask basically back, do you understand? And he says, yes, it doesn't mean he really understands it. He's just saying it because, you know, he's expecting that, you know, he doesn't want to, to, to I don't know, to look dumb or to, you know, to say that he doesn't understand it. And when we hire people and we, you know, give like basically, you know, the direction and we ask if you understand it, and everybody understood it, you know, and then you come one big, the next week you come back and nothing was done and it was a big mess and, and you're just looking into people's faces and there are like, you know, this big question mark. So you, they clearly didn't understand it. So you needed to, first of all, break this hierarchy level because people were quite of not really, I, I think they, they did not approach, you know, like you would, you, like, you know, it from the startups in Europe or the US where, you know, you just approach your, whatever, uh, the senior management or, or, or the, the C-level and you just say what you think. They really need to break these hierarchy levels, which took us quite a while to, you know, having these open door policies, having really one-on-ones with everyone every now and then, uh, giving them the freedom of you know, to talk, sitting in the same room as they are. So it's a whole team. I was, it was really important for us to sit with the whole team together and everybody sees us every day and, you know, they can approach you and talk to you. And, this was, you know, super important in setting up the right space for the culture, which was the next step kind of resulted out of it. We needed to implement, you know, that it's perfectly normal to make mistakes and you will not get punished with. You won't lose your job if you do mistakes. And it was the second part because you need to do mistakes and to iterate very fast and to learn very fast from these mistakes to be able to survive in the market. Mm -hmm. And these were the two super crucial things that we thank God, uh, like quite early, you know, um, focused on and, and uh, we were able to implement it. Actually, that sort of also brings me to uh, a question on the funding. So, I mean, how is the funding environment in Nigeria? You know, did you go to the, let's say, IFC? Did you get money from the venture capital that you were working with? Uh, or how does how did that all work? Yeah, so so the venture capital, uh, the VC guys, they gave us uh, 200K. They said, look, this is, should be enough to, to, to start a business. And then you should see if you can make it or not. And um, we very, you know, soon realized 200K is not a lot of money, to be honest. Uh, you really need to, you need to like check every dollar that you want to spend twice if you really want to spend it. Uh, but we had this quite impressive traction of people, you know, as we realized we had this ground force, people were out there, you know, people were kind of hearing about us. And we started approaching high network individuals and it was a, quite a positive back then. It was a very positive uh, environment in Nigeria. So we were able to, to close the first seat round with, with us. It was very important to have a competitive advantage or an unfair advantage. So we decided to bring um, 
three local well, people from Nigeria who, who lived in Nigeria for almost like 30 years or 40 years onto the board that they can basically show us what, you know, how Nigeria works, you know, teach us, uh, teach us what are things that, you know, you should not do at all and who are people you don't want to be involved with, et cetera, et cetera. So we had our first uh, uh, funding round, which, which was a seven digit, uh, seven digit uh, dollars funding round. Uh, yeah, um, I mean, very closely before we, but we, very close before we got um, profitable. So it was, I think like after 12 months, 14 months something like that and we did not to answer your questions we did not approach the big guys because we are way too small for them we kind of you know reached out trying to understand testing the waters but they said look guys if you don't have a loan book of you know five million or whatever it was back then it was a huge huge number so we didn't even bother to to knock at the doors anymore so then you should not you know then then we just have the right partners and then we realized you know how the high network individuals are the way to go and we were quite successful in in securing this, this deal. Yeah, so about your executive team, did you, did you do a lot of promoting internally or how did you source those candidates to, for your board and your executive team? Yeah, so at the beginning we tried to hire it externally. We were looking into our competition and you know, we, we aggressively tried to hire them via LinkedIn and you know, reaching out. And we realized that this is not the way to go. And the big reason here is culture again. So these guys were five, 10, years in the big banks in uh, or in smaller banks or at microfinance banks how they call it in, in africa or also from the direct competition of you know from, from the, the innovative tech players and they all had a different i would say mindset so it was quite difficult to bring them to our mindset of you know you can make mistakes you actually should make mistakes mm -hmm. and also you have full responsibility for your department so accountability and responsibility so when we hired people, we realized that, you know, a lot of people, a lot of guys were just used to, you know, do deliver their day to day, but not take any accountability. So it was, uh, you know, when we, you know, it was like, I don't know, after, after a certain of time, we, we are quite frustrated. And then we decided to, you know, let's just hire very young people. I must say very young people. We had like guys who were 25, 26, and we made them head of departments of, a, uh, you know, of, a, of a FinTech which is quite a big role because you're basically heading the whole, you're basically heading the whole department you're responsible mm -hmm. for one whole, whole pillar of the company. And we decided to push it, you know, these guys were with us from day one and they're always proven loyalty and proven, you know, that you can, you can trust them. Why not, why not giving some, you know, some guidance and let them, let them grow it. And I believe this is, uh, this made us a little bit, I think this made us different than the other players. And so far, it's, it's a quite a success, I must say. I'm really happy how the people grow into the positions and, um, and really like, you know, uh, I mean, they're growing month after month. You just see how much more they feel more comfortable with this position, feel more comfortable with leading people. They take responsibilities, take accountabilities, accountability. So it's, it's, it's really, uh, there was really the right way to go. I have a just quick question back about the product. Mm -hmm. You said you're doing it a lot manually initially and you had a very like rudimentary um setup when did you decide to invest more in the product and did you hire local people for that or did you outsource it what was your process for that yeah so first we started um well we started quite early with building the product it was um, i think four or five months after we, we've been in nigeria we already started hiring a local nigerian tech team um which were really good guys i mean super super good guys but the truth is that nigeria is just not giving you it's not giving you the efficiency that you can have somewhere else 
what I'm trying to say with that is, you know, we had some power cuts, internet issues, et cetera, et cetera. And the dev team like could not really, you know, produce as fast as, as we expected them as they should. And on top of that is that the good guys, especially the good development guys are super expensive. They, they became way too expensive for us. We like people were basically poaching us, uh, other companies were poaching our, our dev guys and we lost, uh, we lost quite some, some, some really good dev guys on, uh, you know, on, on um, uh, US companies who were outsourcing their tech to Africa. So we decided to, um, to outsource the tech to Portugal, to Porto, as uh, we realized that, you know, we will have probably the same costs, but we will have way more, um, you know, these guys can be way more efficient. And th that was, you know, our decision, mm. uh, you know, to go forward with the, with the, with the product. And now like the last, I would say the last 16 months, we're really heavily investing in product to reduce this manual work as much as possible. So now I would say it's manually, it's maybe 20% and 80% is, is, is all automated. And I believe by, I hope by the end of this year, um, because now there's also the slowdown with Corona, of course, but I hope by this, by the end of this year, we will have everything fully automated hundred percent. Yeah. So you were the CEO for about two years, right? Um, and you're still on the board today, but what was that? Yeah. What um, caused you to make that change and step down and say, okay, I, I want to step down from being CEO and, and just be a board member. Um, what was that uh, experience like? Or what was that time like? Yeah. Um, I think after two and a half years uh, living abroad and really like being on the field on the ground in Nigeria, I realized that um, became you know quite difficult i would say for me because um it's not well i don't think difficult but it was like not anymore my personal you know goals of because i wanted to come back to europe i wanted to be closer to my family and as you get older i believe everybody can understand that you want to come back to your roots or you feel more that you want to go back to your roots so i made the proposal to the board that uh, also i mean back then it was uh, we were at quite a great traction we were um, or we still are in front of the series a and uh, so the company was quite healthy and i believe that for now on there's a you need another i would say caliber of ceo someone who is maybe also nigerian uh, but african someone who's going to stay there for the next two three years and bring the company to the next level and i haven't seen myself you know staying again three years on the ground 100 percent at least i could i could do it like 20 30 percent but I believe it will not help the company. And uh, since I still believe in this company very much, and I believe that what we're doing is a, is a, is a great job and we will, we will do still a great job. I wanted to stay in touch, you know, in touch with the company and also, uh, you know, be informed on actually help wherever I can help. And that's how we decided. And I, you know, the board uh, also decided to, to bring me to the board. And uh, we now put in basically two, I would say Nigerian, uh, or two co-CEOs, who should bring the company now to the next level. Very good. Um, yeah, thank you so much, Robert. That was really, really interesting. Uh, yeah. I think we learned a lot, especially also because it's an emerging market, which I think we don't have too much experience in. Um, so really, really fascinating. Mm -hmm. um, Robert, what, uh, what quote did you bring with you today? Yes, I brought an African proverb, which says, um, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. Very good. Very deep. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So Very thanks so much for coming on. Um, how can our listeners connect with you or help you out um, online? 
yeah, LinkedIn is the best way. I believe there are not a lot of uh, Robert Herglers who lived in Nigeria. So you can just like <laughs> enter my name and you will, you will, I think, find me easily there. Cool. All right. Thanks a lot, Robert. All right. Thanks. Thank you, guys. Thank you very much for listening. We really hope you enjoyed it. Our captivating theme song is The Vendetta by Stefan Kartenberg. If you want to connect with us or send a guest recommendation, drop us a line at launch.learn at gmail.com or connect with Matthias or myself on LinkedIn. Have a great one and see you next time on Launch and Learn. <laughs>